0: Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Ruskey, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome back. We took a week off and uh, we've had an election since then. And uh, we're fortunate though, today we have our full panel, which means Rebecca Lynch from the Wisconsin Working Families Party is with us, Rebecca.
1: Good morning, Matt.
0: Good morning, it is a good morning indeed. Uh, Robert Craig is also with us, the Executive Director here at Citizen Action, Robert. Good morning, podcast listeners and good afternoon. <laughs> Resistance Radio 1510 WRRD listeners. And I'll have to reference to our producer, Brian. We're also on on a uh, low-power frequency radio station in Madison. Yep, There are a
2: few others like that, too, I think. We could compile them.
0: Yes, and they reached out last week, since we weren't here, wondering uh, where Mm. the show had gone. So our apologies to any of the stations that maybe pick us up. We were off last week. Brian Wildridge, our producer, has a... Uh, a legal right to take (laughs) vacations and holidays (laughs) and we really can't do the show without him so we don't even try to be blunt Uh, but welcome back Brian and uh, welcome back to our listeners so we have a number of amazing topics to talk about since we left uh, we had a spring election that was we'll talk more about it but apparently a continuation of uh, a progressive wave uh, here in Wisconsin but also nationally But the big news this week is Paul Ryan, Representative Paul Ryan stepping down. And so we're going to talk more about that, or at least not running for re-election. He is still actually... Going to be the speaker. He's adamant. He's not resigning. Yes, it's um, he's simply not standing for (laughs) re-election. So we'll we'll talk (laughs) more about that. But I also want to preview. We're going to briefly mention uh, what's going on at St. Joe's Hospital here in Milwaukee, particularly for our Milwaukee area listeners. But it is important statewide because uh, what's happening in healthcare and our healthcare systems is is a national phenomenon. And we're also going to be joined by Andy Buck from the Painters Union. Uh, to talk about wage theft and an action that they're going to be doing next Friday that we hope folks can get involved in. And Sue Anderson, a member of our uh, organizing cooperative, will join us to talk about a uh, fundraiser that our organizing cooperative is doing for Voces de la Frontera. But we'll get to all of that. We are going to jump in with Paul Ryan. <laughs> I guess we just have to. Um, so we record Thursday morning, um, and it's, this topic is obviously taking all of the oxygen, and for good reason. Um, and I want to get at least give each of you an opportunity just to give your, your top line thoughts on it. But I do want to dive into the implications longer term. Um, but Rebecca, I'm going to start with you. What does this mean? Paul Ryan steps down your, your initial top line.
1: Top lines. Uh, Nationally, I think it means that we are probably going to take back the House and that the focus for all of us should switch to the Senate because it's certainly switching to the Senate for the GOP. That's a hot take. That's my hot take, (laughs) nationally. (laughs) Locally, uh, I think this very competitive race just got even more competitive. Uh, And I think that in a wave year, um, with a good candidate, and by the way, I think Randy Bryce is a good candidate, I think we can take back the seat. Okay,
2: great. Robert, your thoughts. So I'm a little more cautious in that, you know, we actually have to win the house back, and it really is a gerrymandered. So I would... Going
0: right after the hot take. So I would (laughs) reframe
2: that we have this huge opportunity if we keep what we're doing and we keep the blue wave going, okay? So it's that. Um, I would say this has, you know, been well... Announced in the sense that there's been national media that, it, with multiple sources, uh, for a few weeks, actually months now, indicating that Paul Ryan was talking about his resignation. Of course, it's fairly stunning, epic fail, you could say, to quote my nephews, in that after three years and after having full control and being in a position to a supposedly implement his entire agenda, that he just giving up the third most powerful position in the country and that has nothing to do with the blue wave, he says, which is rather hard to believe, but going back to Rebecca's point, I think that a big thing here is the fissures in the Republican Party because he's not really getting his agenda, he's getting Trump's agenda, Maybe some moral level that he always claimed things are about the debt, and now he's exploded the debt with this tax bill. So maybe there's some part of Paul Ryan that actually cared about the debt. Who knows? Or maybe not. He wants
1: to spend more time with his kids, Robert. Yes.
2: And the <laughs> third thing is, and this is the huge takeaway, and that is, look, what blew up his speakership is health care. He is the one, and a number, there have been a number of journalists accounts of this, who convinced Trump that his first big fight should be health care dismantling Medicaid, destroying the Affordable Care Act, throwing over 20 million people off health care, restoring pre-existing determination, etc., etc. And that was a disaster. They could not get it through those huge majorities because they sparked this public resistance, popular resistance around health care, which has now led to this blue wave, which is now uh, hitting Wisconsin and every place that's having elections, which is why uh, Scott Walker tried not to have elections illegally, as we know, special elections. And so that's like a disaster. And it not only sets up health care as the top issue in this election, which is something CIS Nation Wisconsin has been building to for years, but in addition, it sets us up not just to win elections, but to actually go way beyond the Affordable Care Act and take major steps towards Medicare for all.
0: Yeah, no, I wanted to highlight the health care for a couple of reasons. One, a shout out to Jimmy Anderson. Representative Anderson was very quick yesterday to get out a release framing this, talking about this is a victory for health care. And that you know that was the one thing that he really did, as Robert said, and went after, and it's it's what quite frankly is tanking most of the Republicans in Congress right now, and we know that uh, f- from the elections. And one other thing on that is Randy Bryce, who um, Rebecca mentioned earlier. His he was all over Twitter yesterday and talked about repealing. We've repealed Paul Ryan, right? So it very clearly understanding, and let's face it, we know he's got good polling, right? That health care. And the repeal was central and is central to some of the fundamental weaknesses that Republicans have nationally, but also here in the state. Robert, you were going to say something? No, no, that's absolutely right. And uh, remember,
2: there was a moment in the Trump administration where Paul Ryan was the chosen guy. Remember, President Trump doesn't really have attention spans. No one remains the chosen guy. And it was at that moment that Paul Ryan convinced the president, we need to do health care. That needs to be the first thing you do in your administration. That's wrecked his administration in part, that and the Russia investigation. And so, but it's because Paul Ryan believes in dismantling Medicare and Medicaid. He's written it in his budgets, right? And of course, the Affordable Care Act. And so this is like not just a failure of a man in terms of his tactics, because we tend to think of it, oh, he made a mistake, a miscalculation. No, no, this is a fundamental failure of his whole philosophy. He should go back... To his living room and just read Ayn
0: Rand and stop interacting with uh, mm. with public policy. So, so, Robert, that's a good transition back to Rebecca. You brought up the family, right? So, there's the two competing narratives, out, well, broad competing narratives that he's tired, he's done, right? He's he's achieved, he passed, he passed <laughs> the tax cuts. Well, look, yeah, uh, yeah, okay, yeah. in defense of Paul Ryan, he achieved these tax cuts. We know were historically bad. Right. And and, and that Which was, undermined his alleged top goal. D- d- yeah. Deficit. But Robert, we know that's not really his top goal. Yeah. Right. And so right. he achieved something that was fundamental to sort of his core position that he's been pushing for. However, you brought up it this this whole legislative session's been a disaster. And clearly there's a wave going on. Right. So you call it the blue wave, call it whatever you want. It's a wave against Trumpism, probably. Um, so Versus the family. So you brought up the family. We all know, of course, he wants to spend more time with... Well, who doesn't, right? So that's a legitimate... I'm not going to take a dump on like his desire. I I get that and at some level. But come on, these are political animals. And he would put all that off if he was preparing for a huge wave in their favor, right? So, Rebecca, let's get back to then the landscape. You brought up that you sense that this could be historic. The house, we're going to take the house... Let's talk more specifically here in Wisconsin in this congressional seat. Um, you brought up Randy Bryce. So some folks are out there saying, well, maybe now he doesn't have this lightning rod to go raise money off of and that you can run against, specifically running against what we just talked about, his, his whole agenda. Right. So I want to get your thoughts on the perspective going forward, right? Obviously, we have a very well-funded well-positioned, good candidate in Randy and Kathy Myers, right? We we don't want to forget there's another candidate in there who by all accounts is highly credible too. Um, But Randy has raised all these resources. So your thoughts, Rebecca, because I know you've spent a lot of time thinking about this race.
1: You know, Randy uh, to date, yes, because of the lightning rod um, and because of who Randy is. So Randy's raised like $4.5 million from small donors. I think his nearest primary opponent maybe has raised a couple hundred thousand. So I, you know, I think that is a Huge difference. You know, not that much time before the primary, so I think that we need to be serious about like which candidate is like a credible candidate to win in the primary and go on to November. Look, the race changes. There are things that are very nice about running against Paul Ryan. Sure, it's easier to raise money that he is like wildly unpopular in the district, in large part due to health care. And you know, you mentioned before that Randy must have good polling, but Randy doesn't need polling to know that. <laughs> People don't like Paul Ryan's healthcare plan. First of all, that was, you know, Randy's whole announcement rollout with his video in, in last summer was about his mother and her illness and his experience, and he is a cancer survivor. Uh, but also, we had town halls across the district where thousands of people came out to yell at an empty chair or like ask questions to Pocan who came down from Madison to step in because Paul Ryan was nowhere to be seen.
2: Yeah, we had one of those events with, with Congressman Pocan and Racine, yes.
1: Right, so people people came out. So you don't really need polling, but yeah. I'm sure the polling yeah. reflects that as well. Um, so look, I think with Randy, like yes, it is nice to run against Paul Ryan in that way, but I think this is much better. And the reason why it's better is it is hard to run against an incumbent. It is hard to run against an incumbent with tens of millions of dollars in the bank. And you know what? Paul Ryan is Janesville's favorite son in some ways.
0: Well, a- as you said that about polling, it reminded me of the Dylan song, You Don't Need a Weatherman to Know Which Way the Wind Blows. Excellent point. But with that, we got to take a break. Again, you're listening uh, to The Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action and um, we are talking about Paul Ryan stepping down, or at least not agreeing he's not gonna run for re-election. And so we're having a conversation about what this might mean for his congressional district. And in particular, just want to remind our listeners: this is not a this is not a swing district. This is a Republican district. Um, with Ryan stepping down yesterday, I think the Cook Report, which is one of these nonpartisan, took it from yes, strong I've, Republican to lean Republican. I've met, I've met Charlie Cook <laughs> and his minions of interns.
2: Uh, that's all they do. They're right. animals. But, um, if,
0: but just from a straight-up Politico standpoint, we're, we're talking about a Republican seat here um, that is clearly in play, right? And in the question that we were talking about, and certainly want to get more from Rebecca but also Robert, is is Ryan's departure make this seat more winnable or less winnable, or does it not really matter? And I think part of this is your, your point is a lot of this has to do with we have a really good candidate in Randy Bryce, which, which is critical beyond just whether Paul Ryan steps down. Robert, and then any, any chance for Rebecca? I mean,
2: it changes the dynamic of the race dramatically. When you're running a race against a very prominent figure uh, like a Paul Ryan, uh, it's sort of a judo move in that you draw energy off of their prominence okay so and randy bryce has done that very 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 successfully this will not be as prominent a race anymore it'll have a little bit more because it's his former district ryan's but it's not paul ryan so i would advise randy to To get through, if he can get through the primary without spending down his capital, he should because he's going to have a different kind of race and he can't count on raising money at this pace anymore because he's not going up against Speaker Ryan, he's going against Paul Nalen or Robin Voss or someone like that. But at the end of the day, Paul Ryan had huge political assets as a very effective retail politician. So assuming he can raise enough money and, and hold on to enough money. the, 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 the v- nominee, who is probably Randy Bryce, uh, prob- may have a better chance of ultimately winning against another candidate in a blue wave election. but it just it, 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 his whole battle plan needs, needs to change now uh, because it's a very different race.
1: It is. I agree it's a different race. Uh, I, I still think that Randy is a phenomenal candidate. And I think that, you know, we'll, we'll see who the Republicans put up. You know, they only have a short amount of time now to actually get on the ballot.
0: Your thoughts on that, Rebecca?
1: About who they're going to put up. <laughs> I mean, there's been a bunch of names floated. Um, Samantha Kirkman is the latest name that I've heard. Um, you know, Robin Voss, who Robert mentioned. Um, Craig. There's, like, a number of people. Obviously, Naylan, who's, like, essentially a white supremacist, will be running. Um, scary, scary. Scary, scary. I think that the race changes... But I can't imagine the Republicans putting up a candidate like Randy. And what I mean by that is that Randy is a union iron worker. He is a father. He's a cancer survivor. He is a veteran. He is someone who is you know, very much of his district, cares authentically and deeply about his district. Uh, he's not a guy in a suit. He's not a lawyer. He's not a politician. And I think that we're going to see lawyers and politicians what, on the
2: other side. What people should look for is and I've been reading a lot of the books about the early Trump administration deliberately, is that there's a real fissure in the Republican Party. And part of what happened with Ryan resigning is Ryanism is losing out to Trumpism. Okay? Now, that plays out in this election, because Paul Nalen is more in the Bannon wing, whatever you want to call it, the Breitbart wing, probably more accurately, and which is anti-Ryan ring, which is very establishment. So a Robin Voss, a Samantha Kirkman, there are they are a more mainline Ryanist kind of candidate, and have have a lot of baggage as far as their connection to uh, to a lot of stuff that uh that kind of the Breitbart wing is against and wants to attack, and so a Nalen could take out one of these candidates in the primary. Now, I think it'd be better to face a nail in the general, but, yeah. uh, but I'm just saying that the days are gone. Look at the U.S. Senate race, right? The days are gone when the establishment wing of the Republican Party in Wisconsin can simply name the nominee.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think um, a slightly different point. I think the days are gone when the Democratic Party is trying to find nominees, and I, I, that's like another like hot take uh, takeaway for me, you know, it was almost a year ago, um, next week, it'll be a year ago, that Marina and I uh, sat in a coffee shop in Oak Creek with Randy Bryce and asked him to run and recruited him to run. And he, at the time, he was rightfully dubious, like, how could I possibly take on the Speaker of the House? But we saw in Randy um, what I think a lot of people, you know, millions of people now see in Randy, that he is the real deal and he is somebody who we need. And we need more folks like Randy. And it's not just Randy, right? I mean, it's, it's highly local, so only the Milwaukee folks will get this reference, but you talking about last week's elections which I think we'll get to in the next segment Steve Shea who is a GED teacher at the Technical College is a candidate who beat out a huge money super PAC we are running social workers we are running teachers and now with Brandy we're running an iron worker and that's what we need to see and I did an interview with a DC based reporter for the Huffington Post yesterday the piece ran last night that was all about what the Democratic Party isn't doing and should be doing when it comes to candidate recruitment and what we've seen um, with the D trip and with other establishment organizations is that they write off races because they're rated as Republican. They're rated as not competitive. But they also look for the usual suspects to run for office. And what we know at the Working Families Party and what Citizen Action knows um, with all of your co-op members who are running is that it is people of the community who feel the issues, who care about the issues, who not only um, would be the best legislators and the best people in office, but are also the best candidates. And to the fissure that Robert talked about in the Republican party, you know, this is the problem with the two party system is that we have these very strong establishment parties that are both very disconnected from the people and people are organizing and revolting in both parties and pushing back on that. And I think that (coughs) Randy is well poised Uh, to capture the votes of his neighbors who feel the way he does about the direction that the state and the country is going in. And I think that there are going to be candidates up and down the ballot in CD1 and throughout the state who are as well.
2: Cautionary note on that. I I agree. I think what Rebecca says is very insightful about in a two-party system, you end up with this. It's very different than a parliamentary system where each kind of point of view gets its own party. Right? So there's these big mismash, And so both are mixes of lobbyists and special interests that have nothing to do with people and certain ideological and some particular Republican dogmatic strands of thought and nationalism that we've seen, white supremacist kind of stuff, etc. is all mashed together with kind of white-stocking Republicans who just want to bilk more money out of the people. Right? And that's all mixed together. Um, now, there is some a kind of revolt in both parties, right? One is a scary one. The Republican revolt is an ultra-nationalist kind of uh, thing that we've seen in Europe and, and, and across the Western world. Um, the, Democrat, the one in the Democratic Party is a more genuine populism. Now, it's affecting elections, affecting primaries. Now, the move historically that major American parties do in that kind of situation is try to co-opt that energy and actually try to claim to represent it. So we need to be very, very careful about that. We need a very clear policy agenda that people are running on that can't be, can't, if, it gets, if it gets dumbed down to a few corporate kind of slogans, then that, that's right for co-optation and then fake populists
0: of both parties simply maintain control for the establishment. Yeah, I want to underscore what you were saying about candidates mattering. I, I, I think it's a huge piece of what's... so Or, or Kathy Meyer, right? Um, what is going to be critical is that they can mobilize people. Because, I mean, ultimately, if this, if 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 the wave gets this race close, a historic level of field activity through the candidate, which clearly I think Randy can muster, and we'll see about Kathy, right, is going to be needed in order to win. You know, because that's that's what I think could be the X factor. You could see just a historic level of volunteerism for someone like Randy because of who he is. The fact that he was at the Capitol when we had the uprising, and he's yeah. never left. Yep. He's never left this movement. Um, and you're not just going to see movement progressives. You're going to see rank and file tradesmen and other folks who who've known for years who Randy is, right? And so I think that's important, and it's important for all of our candidates, and and something that will be critical and, and tested.
1: Yeah, I, I just, I, I want to say one more thing about Paul Ryan leaving, um, and we can, you know, talk about this probably over drinks off the pod, but there there are so many reasons um, that he's leaving, right? I think he's he's been facing, as Robert mentioned for months, that there have been reports that he's been facing credible challenges from within the Republican caucus to his speakership. So it's possible that, like, he could have, like, potentially lost his speakership while trying to hold on to it. I think the blue wave that we've been calling um, what we hope is gonna happen in November is a credible challenge to Republican control of the House. Obviously Trump and Trumpism. And he's is-
2: fallen out of favor with his orangeness.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there you go, his orangeness is what we'll call it. And, and then you know the combination of being forced to do things that he doesn't want to do in terms of raising the debt, but also doing what he came to do in terms of these massive tax cuts. Um, and all of that is to say, you know, his uh, the final thing is that he has this very competitive race in the district, and all of that came together to say, like, if he wants to have a future, if he wants to run for president, if he wants to do anything else, he's going to have to leave. Um, and uh, the, the last quick thing I'll say is that, you know, I feel very much that, like, his chickens have come home to roost and that you cannot be, and I've said it over and over again in the podcast, you cannot be the congressman for Wall Street and represent Racine, Kenosha, Janesville, and, like, the, the first congressional district of Wisconsin. They are incompatible. You will not win re-election. And there
2: is a theory of the case that Rebecca just suggested that uh, really the stand of Ryanism is going to be a presidential
0: run. So with that, we got to we gotta take a break. We're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin and we'll be right back. Welcome back. We're Citizen Action of Wisconsin and you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We had a Great conversation about Paul Ryan's exiting stage right and what it all means. Uh, one of the things that uh, is certainly part of the legacy of Paul Ryan and, and folks like him is, you know, quite frankly, anti-worker policies, not really thinking about how do we create the kind of opportunity we need for everyone to succeed. And um, we're going to talk more about that with a special guest that we have this section. And it's uh, someone who is a podcast listener, so we're thrilled to have him on. And is. His name is Andy Buck. He's the Governmental Affairs uh, Director at the Painters' Union here in Wisconsin, uh, and he's here to talk about wage theft. Andy, thanks for joining us. Yeah, real glad to be here. Uh, big fan of the
3: podcast. In my travels throughout the state, I look forward to it. So I think it's uh, wage theft is an issue that a lot of folks don't talk about or don't know about uh, on what happens. I think, you know, we're talking about human trafficking. Talk a lot of it on the sexual side, but not a lot on the labor side. Essentially, you have the same type of thing happening, and uh, with with the Trump administration, with his new policies on immigration, he's essentially driven these folks further and further in the shadows. You know, you're looking at instances where people are working for, you know, pennies on the dollar, five dollars an hour, no health insurance, no retirement, nothing. So, what what kind of a blueprint does that look like for the future? So,
0: so obviously the the painters uh, are in the trades, and this is a huge issue within the trades. Talk talk to us very specifically about how this plays out for the painters. And the reason we're talking about this is you guys are going to have a big event next Friday to -hmm. start to get folks to understand what's going on wage theft. So talk a little bit more about how how you're experiencing this.
3: Yeah, so we represent painters, glazers, drywall finishers in the state of Wisconsin. And specifically in the drywall finishing industry was where we see it the most. So what what folks will do is they'll get a 1099. They'll, They'll all be independent contractors. So that makes it extremely difficult for our contractors, for responsible contractors, to to bid up against that. There's when you're when you're handed a, a 10.99, you're you're not paying into workman's comp, you're not paying into unemployment, you're not paying all these things in. So it gives you a competitive edge against responsible contractors. So number one, it's illegal to be an independent contractor in the construction industry. And as soon as somebody tells you. You need to be in that room to to paint the wall to to finish to finish that room. What time to be at work? You're you're in violation of the law. So mm-hmm. um, so yeah, we're we're next Friday. We're doing a event. We do a day of action. We actually do it across the United States uh, on this day with the Painters Union. So we're doing ours on highlighting wage theft, the underground economy. So we're going to be doing one in Madison at 1820 East Washington Street from 11 to 1. And then we're going to be here in Milwaukee at uh the corner of water and wells at the same time, eleven to one so hope hope you all can join us
1: as you mentioned, it's a day of action you're having across the country, so it's not a wisconsin specific issue um and it also occurs across industries and mm-hmm. it's particularly insidious in the construction industry, as you mentioned uh but really impacts like a whole host of workers. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that
3: we like I said, we represent. Folks in the construction industry but you're talking about nail salon workers you're talking about hotel workers you know you might not see the person it might not be the person cleaning your room it might be the people doing the work uh, doing the wash that kind of stuff so um, this this cuts across everybody and like I said before that you know we should be focusing on this because this hurts this hurts everybody this hurts the you know, number one the families first and foremost that they're they're the ones that are working these long hours for pennies on the dollar but then also trickling down to um, the local taxes you know the workman's strains and the workman's comp unemployment they're not flooded with money so so we're essentially all paying more for this stuff
2: yeah And so we when we talk about a rigged economy this is part of the rigging Mm -hmm. this drives wages down we need Mm -hmm. to actually raise the wage floor and it takes money out of the economy in other words when you're paying workers less when the contractor gets the bid because of you know basically wage theft Mm -hmm. right then the workers have less money to spend in local businesses in the local community, and that continues the downward spiral of less opportunity. but if you raise the wage floor if you make sure you 're meeting standards mm-hmm. uh, then that actually not o- that helps the workers obviously make a living, support their families, live the American dream it also helps the entire economy and, and all the local businesses that uh, really depend upon workers having money in their pockets right
3: yep we 're um, economically driven you know you know we know that when the middle class is strong the 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 country's strong so it uh, just just falls in place with with that
1: i i mentioned this to andy before but uh in my in my past life uh i you know worked with the teamsters my dad was a teamster organizer and one of the um you know uh, harshest battles we waged um, for the Teamsters back in New York was on misclassification. And, you know, this thing, the so called independent contractors in commercial trucking, is a huge issue since the deregulation of the trucking industry in the 1980s. And you mentioned that it impacts people's benefits, certainly the taxes that are being paid by these companies, but it r- it's real exploitation. You know, folks, their work is being directed as if they are employees, yep. but they're forced to pay for their uniforms, pay for their truck. They're not paid for all the time they work. It really is, is remarkable. And as you mentioned, it uh, goes across industries. And what is interesting to me is that it's kind of the other side of the highway robbery of like the Wall Street robber barons of our day, where like one side of it is what we talk about quite a bit all these jobs that have just been exported overseas. And we see it, you know, across Racine and Kenosha and throughout the rest belt of this country. But the jobs that can't be exported. Uh, are the ones that we are trying to make really terrible jobs where we 're squeezing every penny and every bit of productivity out of workers without compensating them effectively and uh, it really um, is disconcerting and i I would hope that you know we have a lot of rhetoric. From Republicans and Democrats, um, you know, in Madison, in D.C., about wanting to buy America, good American jobs, bring good jobs back, and the construction industry in particular, it's not just a job, it could be a really good middle-class career that we can't, somebody in Bangladesh can't mm-hmm. build a building in Madison. So, you know, why are we not making these, not only as good jobs as possible, but good solid careers for local Wisconsinites? Right. When you have
3: a, a job, or it's, it's in a painter's union, it's, this is is your career much like Rebecca said uh, talking about this there's a few people making a conscious decision to exploit workers and, and benefit off the the fruits of their labor so um, I, I feel that we haven't done enough I think we need to be more proactive on this instead of reactive it's really hard to make a complaint against this a lot of times it, uh, it doesn't work it needs to be a first party complaint so I think we can make some strides and you know in strengthening this the penalties for these these players it's pennies on the dollar. What they have and to pay. And
2: it's a it. quality and safety issue as well, right? Dingle. I mean, it's yes. not as. I mean, a, a yeah. union painter no. glazer knows how to do their job. The the job is better. But then, in addition, there are safety issues. <laughs> if you're dealing with lead paint or something, uh, your, your folks know what to do. Someone who is not trained, it's not mm. their fault. And being paid a substandard wage may not only expose themselves to to dangers, but expose the the, the ultimate users of the of the building to r- dangers. R- r- right. Yep.
3: That this is. Not a union, non-union issue. This is an issue of fairness, responsible contractors, um, folks getting a fair shot. You know, if you're if you're doing the work, you should be getting paid to do the work that you're doing. And you know what we're seeing, it, this is happening on skyscrapers in Milwaukee. This is happening on small projects. It, it's all over the place. So what these folks are doing, they're coming right in, under you know the responsible contractor number, and then they're they're the workers are the ones that are suffering for this.
0: Well. We want to encourage folks to get out next Friday, participate in this day of action, and and let's get good attendance. Again, where are we in Madison? We're looking at uh, 1820
3: East Washington Street.
0: um, (laughs) Yep, and in Milwaukee. Right on the corner of Water and Wells. And again, that's next uh, Friday. That's uh, April 20th from 11 to 1. Before we go, though, if um, somebody's listening and they're interested in finding out more about the trades, more about the painters, what, what do you recommend to them?
3: check out our website. It's www.iupatdc7.com. You can go on there, fill out an application um, and get the process started. So these are great careers. You know, we're talking a lot about uh, college debt. So once you uh, start your career in, in the trades, you know, uh, go through your four-year apprenticeship, you come out debt-free. It, it's a, It's a really great place to be.
0: Well, we want to thank you for taking time to come in. We're gonna we're gonna have you back because we're gonna oh, talk more. Thing. I know. I know. Uh in this run up to the show, you told us that you 're going to hopefully have some legislative things you 'd like to do down the road, both locally mm-hmm. but uh, also potentially at the state, if we change our our, our uh, leaders yes. and we want to come out, have you back on to talk more about proactive solutions and what we can do and really educate the public over the next year on this issue. Yeah, so we love to really appreciate you coming in and, and,
1: and being a loyal listener to uh, the podcast yeah <laughs> of course we, we
0: love hey. <laughs> we love loyal listeners. <laughs> So uh, thanks a lot, Andy. And anything else you want to leave before with our listeners? No, just
3: you know, come, on, come on down, see what we're up to uh, next Friday. Like I said, you got an opportunity in Madison
0: and Milwaukee to really uh, shed a light on this. All right, great. And with that, we've got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action in Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We want to thank Andy Buck for joining us in our previous segment uh, to educate us a little bit about what's going on around wage theft. And again, want to encourage folks, get out next Friday, April twentieth, from 11 to 1, both in Madison and Milwaukee, and support these actions. Again, we'll have details on our website. But I wanted to, before we have a second guest later on, uh, to talk a little bit about the spring elections. We did not have a show last week, and obviously, significant uh, victory. For Rebecca Dallet. Rebecca, your namesake. Good job.
1: <laughs> Good job. Elections happened and we dropped the mic. We were yes. like, no podcast necessary. Yep.
0: <laughs> well, w- w- it was kind of like uh, resounding victory. See you later. We'll see <laughs> you in two weeks.
1: Um, I mean, what an unbelievable margin. Uh, you know, I think it was um, shocking to me, um, and I think to a lot of us who've been doing this a long time. Uh, Judge Dallet was, as we said in previous podcasts, an excellent candidate, um, a highly experienced uh, public servant running for that seat against someone who was none of those things. Uh, but there was a lot of spending against her. It was, got really ugly and she won decisively. And it was thrilling. And, you know, up and down the ballot, you know, I know Citizen Action had wins. And we did with the Working Families Party, too. And it just speaks um, volumes to what we can expect in the fall in the partisan races.
0: Yeah, earlier you mentioned uh, Steve Shea, uh, which was a huge Steve Shea. huge victory for, for our collaborative work, right? We've been at this now for a few years here in Milwaukee, trying to build... Uh, Working Families Party in collaboration with uh, a lot of progressive groups, and you know we really focused on Steve and put a lot of effort and really went against the, the big money, and he won, and that's uh, very exciting. Steve of course is uh, a member of Citizen Action and a member of AFT 212, so we're really thrilled about that. Also, want to highlight um, one of the things that we've talked about here at Citizen Action, and Rebecca's talked a lot about this: candidates, candidates, candidates. They matter, and we're spending a lot more time not only this year but for years to come, thinking about recruiting candidates, getting members to run for office. And uh, we're really excited that 49 of our members, that we were able to calculate um, one-seats uh, uh Last uh, spring and so we're really thrilled about that and we want to thank all of our members who got out and worked very hard on behalf of those candidates in Eau Claire for example, we know that there were almost 10,000 doors knocked by uh, partner organizations and our members uh, up in in that region on behalf of candidates and so excellent work and good job Everyone uh, who ran for office. We need more folks uh, like yourself running Um, With that though we're, we're we're tight on time because we're, we're going to have a special guest to talk about a fundraiser we're doing. But before we go uh, to that special guest, I do want to mention for our folks here in Milwaukee about the news around the closing of St. Joseph's Hospital. Not the closing of the whole hospital, but the closing of the medical and surgical units, which is, the, is a core fundamental part of what makes a hospital. And for folks who don't know, St. Joe's is basically really the only hospital left on the north side. it is an institution um, and it you know obviously great service. Um, but this is huge. Uh, we are partnering with a number of groups who are very upset around this um, and that includes the Wisconsin Federation of Nurses. We will have a lot more details next week. We hopefully will even have a special guest to talk more about. This and uh, the community response. But we do have a petition, and we'll have a link to that petition uh, on our webpage. Robert, you look like you have something to say. Well, just this is one of the things that have been happening a long time in the healthcare industry,
2: and I call it an industry deliberately. These hospitals' chains claim to be nonprofits, but they're nonprofit name only. So you have these chains uh, building all over in the rich suburbs and then pulling out capacity in the underserved city, uh, and we already have huge racial disparities. And then they'll say, oh, we're losing money on this hospital, but they won't look at the overall profits that they're making generally. And in this case, we have Ascension, a huge chain that has had a huge merger and acquisition, has taken all sorts of debt, and is losing money. No one in, in Milwaukee asked them to do that or take over Wheaton Franciscan and run these facilities in the ground. Furthermore, in this case, it's even a lie uh, that, they're, that they're simply pulling money out of a uh, facility that is losing money because another hospital in their system, Columbia St. Mary's, is losing more money than St. Joseph's, and they're shifting the capacity over there, and what's the difference? Uh, St. Joe's is in a, in, in, in a largely African-American community, though there's some integrated neighborhoods in there as well. Uh, Some of the few in Milwaukee. And then Columbia St. Mary's is on the rich east side along the lake, and it's losing more money. It's getting capacity shifted to it. So this tells you literally— There's been building there, too. They've been building. Oh, yeah. So you're literally moving away from uh, lower-income people, people of color, and sending the capacity— not even where they can necessarily make more money. They can make more in the suburbs. Columbia St. Mary's is not making more money, and it's getting, and it's getting an investment out of St. Joe's. And very little transportation for people to get there, of course. And in, in part of the rigging, ambulances these days, if you take long ambulance rides, they aren't covered by a lot of insurance, and you end up with some gigantic
0: ambulance bill, too, when you're already facing a very costly medical incident or event. Folks, this is really important. It's not just a Milwaukee issue, because is hap- it's playing out with our uh corporatization of healthcare. And you know, when you see exploding healthcare costs, this is this is part of it, right? The rigging of the system in terms of where they're going profit seeking and as opposed to really looking at where we need uh to provide uh care. So folks, we got this petition online. We'll have a lot more information about this going forward. Um but please uh go online, sign our petition, uh and if you're in the Milwaukee area, please get involved in this fight back. Um, but with that we are going to have a special guest to talk about a fundraiser that our Milwaukee Organizing Cooperative is doing in partnership with a number of other groups in support of Voces de la Frontera. So we are really fortunate uh, to wrap up the show. We have a special guest. It is one of our Citizen Action Organizing Cooperative members. Her name is Sue Anderson, and Sue is here joining us to talk about a fundraiser that our members, have organized in support of Voces de la Frontera. Uh, Sue, uh, thanks for joining us.
4: You're welcome. Good to be here.
0: Well, it's, we're glad to have you, and we're really excited about the fact that uh, folks have organized this. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what the event is and uh, so that they could
4: get involved? The event is next Friday, April 20th, um, from 5 to 8 p.m., and I'll give you the more, some more details. But this is um, a Citizen Action is leading this effort, but we're joined by a number of other progressive organizations as sponsors to raise money for Voces de la Frontera um, and their efforts to help people who are facing deportation. Um, Many times it's the family breadwinner who has been rounded up and facing deportation, and his family is left without means of support. There are legal fees to pay, and, and this work obviously takes Takes a lot of money, and so we thought if we could make a contribution and uh, get a bunch of organizations together and make it a social event, also that we could raise money and, and get a lot of pe- <clears throat> excuse me get a lot of people together. So as I said, this is next Friday, April twentieth, from five to eight p.m. and it's being held at the Milwaukee Labor Council in Yatchak Hall, um, which is six thirty three Holly Road. It is a potluck, so we're asking people to bring a dish to share, to, and then there's a suggested donation at the door of $25. Um, we're hoping we get so many people that we'll overwhelm the space, um, <clears throat> but we have no idea. So um, we're just asking people to come out with a dish to share and $25 and help this organization that is doing great work about, around immigrant rights and also to get a bunch of progressive organizations together and we need to all work together.
0: Yeah folks, let's get out and support this is a great event. If you haven't by the way, if you haven't been to a co-op potluck, you're missing it. It's some of the best food you're ever <laughs> going to eat. Lot of food. Oh my gosh, it's it's fabulous. <laughs> I'm unfortunately going to be out of town, but I've already made my donation to Voses. Uh, I think this is a great cause and you you raise the important work they're doing right now with with the deportations and the costs that go along with that. So this is phenomenal. Um, and also, Sue, f- great job. You got Yachik Hall pronounced properly. That's also a... I've been proud. So great job. But again, folks, Yachik Hall, that's the uh, the Labor Council there on Holly Road. Plenty of parking. Uh, let's pack the place. Um, anything else, Sue, you want to let our listeners know about? Uh, and obviously, if they can't make it, they could just go. You can go online uh, to uh, VOSIS and and make a donation.
4: Yes, there is a there is a, the ability to make a direct donation. So um, anything people can do, and I believe if you contribute thirty dollars at the door, then you're automatically uh, given a membership into VOSIS because that's their their uh, basic membership amount. So um, twenty five, thirty dollars, and you can uh, help them in their great work.
0: Well, thanks so much, Sue, for joining us and uh, helping pull this together, uh, not only the co-op, but a number of other progressive organizations. It's a great cause. Uh, We really appreciate you taking the time to uh, educate us. Thank you. Great. And with that, we have to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. We want to thank our guests today. We're really happy that Sue Anderson, of course, joined us from the co-op to tell us about the fundraiser. We're also thrilled that Andy Buck from the Painters Union joined us to talk about wage theft We look forward to seeing you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.